Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and has insisted we record this episode before Palace play Man United so a certain someone can't get his own back. I'm Kevin Day and the certain someone is, of course, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, still stuffed full of Sea Dream after his birthday on Sunday. Did you have a nice time, Kieran? I, I had a very uh, enjoyable evening. Thank you very much, Kevin. Yes, it was... Uh... Superbly cooked by the Baroness, and uh, we've already had people on social media asking for the recipe, as well as we've now got people uh, asking if we can send Marmite and cheese loaves to them. Well, never mind that. I don't know if somebody sent you... I'm still trying to find out whether it's a hoax. Somebody sent me an advert for Marmite ice cream, which... which If somebody's photoshopped that to, to taunt me, I'm going to be furious. Because literally, for the first time in my life, you know how much I hate the summer. I can't stand it. But if, the, if there's Marmite ice cream at the end of the winter rainbow, I'm, I'll be I'll be perfectly happy. Um, Kieran, later on, we'll be hearing from Ben Harrison, who's chairman of the Tramia Rovers Trust. Uh, in another of those interviews that make you proud to be a football fan, um, it's a really good interview, uh, and it raises some really interesting questions as well. Uh, and he works selling beer, so he's almost the perfect guest for me. Um, but before that, we have some news. And this this first story, Kieran, is a massive story from the Far East that may cause some nerves in the West Midlands. Yes, uh, this is uh, in relation to uh, Suning, which is, uh, which is a retail company in China. Uh, and it also owns a company called uh, Jiangsu. Uh, who were the Chinese Super League champions last season. Terrific, you know, ter- you know good achievement uh, and so on. And then at the weekend, uh, the, the owners said, oh, we're, we're ceasing trading. You know, we, are, we are stopping playing football. We don't want anything to do. The club's not going to play any more matches. We're getting rid of the women's team. Uh, if somebody wants to buy it, um, they, can, they can buy it for a dollar, which you know, instantly Steve Dale's ears pricked up. <laughs> um, but... Uh, and and that's uh, that's what that's what happened, which which is quite scary. And then you delve a little bit further into Suning, and they were they're also the company that had the Premier League TV rights. Yeah. When the when the broadcaster called PPTV, who Suning owned, um, they just walked away from the deal uh, a few months ago, really leaving the the Premier League in in a bit of a mess because it was a uh, it was a five hundred million. Uh, pound three-year deal or five hundred million dollar three-year deal, which was pretty lucrative uh, you know, at those values, and they just stopped paying, which meant that the Premier League then had to try to hawk themselves around to to get a replacement uh, deal, which which is worth only a fraction of what they were originally anticipating. So you know, we all know that Premier League clubs there. They're not rolling in money, but uh, yeah, as a result of the pandemic, like everybody else. But you know, th- this this was a further further damage to all those clubs that have lost out on on match day income. 
Um, and, and then you, you do a little bit more digging round, and Suning also own Internazionale mm. in Italy. Um, and they'd lost over 100 million euro in the last year. Now, if you're losing money and you've got an owner, you know, such as Mansour, Abramovich, uh, and so on, at least they can dig the clubs out when they're losing money. But here, you start to get really twitchy. Um, so it looks as if uh, Inter are up for sale um, with the likes of Goldman Sachs advising and potential private equity owners coming in. If a private equity owner comes in, if anybody thinks that you're going to be better off, you're in for a shock. You, know, it, you, you, you cannot even order a set of paper clips without getting it authorised from, from these new owners. They, they've got no interest in football. It's all to do with the bottom line. We, we have spoke, I've, I've spoken before about my, my fear for a bit of a a bit of a house of cards and domino effect in the transfer market. Um, and when you take a look at Internazionale's creditors, they owe Manchester United over €50 million Euro for the signing of Romelu Lukaku. Now, if they go the same way as Jiangsu, what happens to that €50 million? Euro? And then you've got all of the other clubs that are owed money uh, yeah. on top of that. And you know, it's, it's this sort of ring a ring of roses that we've got in respect of football uh, in terms of the, the, the money flowing around the transfer market. And, and there are some parallels with what we saw in 2007 uh, in, in terms of the, the, the toxic debt that was being passed around at the time. One of the things Ali always tells me off for is using the word literally, literally all the time. Um, but this is literally like Liverpool, after winning the Premier League title, announcing that they were no longer taking part in any football activity and they ceased to exist. Is there any link at all to what we've spoken about previously, the the Chinese government's increasing lack of enthusiasm for football? Are the two linked? Is there a government input into this, do you think, or is it a purely business decision? I, I think it's a business decision. Um, that the core business of the parent company is retail. We all know that retail globally is struggling. And, and I think what they're trying to do is to protect the core business. And, and therefore, they see football as being uh, a, a relative insignificance. Uh, the, the Chinese government is still very keen to develop football domestically because they are very keen to have the World Cup in 2030 or mm. 2034, which sort of links us into what Boris Johnson was has been saying in the last 48 hours or so. Um, so I don't think there'll be any pressure domestically, but there, there is certainly uh, indications from the, the Chinese government that they, they would rather that the, the wealthy owners and, and the wealthy organisations in the country focus on the domestic game rather than trying to make overseas purchases. Yeah, for those uh, of our listeners who may not be aware of the Boris Johnson reference, he, indicating in the last day or so that the UK and Irish Republican government, uh, Irish Republic government, I should say, before my cousin said it's not a Republican government, um, I've I, I, talking about a joint bid for the World Cup in 2030, which, if it's competing with China economically, may be a problem. So what you're saying about the Chinese government is, so this is not necessarily bad news for those Premier League clubs like Wolves and West Brom who have significant Chinese links. I, I don't think so. I think this is a decision which has been made by 
one owner. Uh, I mean, my understanding is that West Brom are presently up for sale and, and there are people circulating the club uh, with a view to coming up with a bid, but they, they can't agree on price. Mm-hmm. Fosun, who are Wolves owners, uh, there's there's no indication that they've lost uh, their affection for the black country and uh, they, they want to carry on yeah, in terms of the present level of investment. It's a fairly unprecedented decision, isn't it, Kieran? I mean, they haven't just said that we're we're winding down a football club. We want to buy it. It's that's it. Just overnight, it's over. That I can't think of any any similar situation. Can you? Certainly not in the world of football. You know, normally yeah, cool. yeah. you get you, you get some indication that uh, this is going to happen. I mean, having having worked in the world of insolvency, you know. I was quite used to things in other industries being closed down immediately, but but football has a lot of leaks. You you tend to be aware of where the issues are because either you know, a director says something to a fan or a journalist and it gets out. But this this has come out of nowhere. Now I was going to say our next story takes us to Spain, but having already upset some Irish Republicans, I might upset Spanish people if I say Spain because it's not Spain, it's it's Barcelona. Catalan police have made four arrests over financial issues at Barcelona. Yes, uh, and and this is this is a very weird one, and again, I think you you have to dig deeper and deeper to find why on earth are the police becoming involved, um, Barcelona employed two social media advisor companies with you know, typical names one of them is called i3 ventures and the other one is called nicestream you know so the typical you know ponzi uh, language used and they they were paid to uh, manage and monitor uh, comments about Barcelona and the Barcelona president and the Barcelona players on behalf of the club, which yeah, doesn't seem necessarily the best use of, of money. Um, and it turns out that they were being paid around about €1 million Euro a year, which, oh. you know, I, I, I'm quite happily do that. You know, if, if somebody wants me to check to see whether somebody's being called a slag on Facebook and pay me a fortune, uh, you know, I'm, I'm there. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, who is, um, well, while we're talking about that, Karen, who is the chap who manages your Twitter account? Because he has quite the potty mouth sometimes, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, indeed. Especially in relation to Lee Mason. <laughs> Let it go, Karen. <laughs> um, so you then, you then look at uh, what happens at Barcelona, and apparently any expenditure over €200,000 a year has to be authorised. It effectively has to go through a committee to be approved. Um, and, and that makes a lot of sense You know, in any business. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you spend above a certain level, you've got to get two people to sign off on it. Yeah, the, the usual type of controls that you'd expect in business. But this, this was a, a million euro a year. And I, the way it appears to be have been done is slicing and dicing. So instead of paying them a million euro a year, they pay them a hundred thousand euros ten times, and that goes beneath the radar. So oh, so loads right. of people were completely unaware, and it then turns out that uh, the the Barcelona president Bartomo, um, he he fell out with Lionel Messi, and he got these, or rather, these social media companies then started trolling the likes of Messi, Guardiola, Xavi, uh, and the other presidential candidates. 
Mm. So it was all it was a it was using effectively the club's money for the personal campaigns of the the president um, who has now resigned. You know, he's he's now completely out of of the equation, and he is one of the people who have been arrested by the financial crimes police uh, in in Catalonia. Right. Um, it, it, it seems odd, doesn't it, with all the figures we've heard about. Uh, Barcelona in recent years that uh, that sum of euros is the sum that's getting them arrested. Is it? That seems there must be more to it than that. You'd imagine, wouldn't there? Um, I, I can't see anything. I mean, it, it seems a strange issue to get the the police involved in the first place, but it, it it has become very personal. And we've got the elections for the next Barcelona president taking place in the next week or so. So everybody's trying to position themselves either as people who are trying to be president and think that, that Bartomo, you say, oh, he, he was the wrong one. You know, he, we, we, we never trusted him anyway, yeah. or to uh, taint uh, one of the other presidential candidates who, who might have been seen having a coffee with this bloke. You, you know how, how bitchy things are going to get. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the, the sums involved seem relatively low, but I think it's the principle that things were taking place behind people's back which has has proven to be the the tipping point and this this notion of slicing and dicing is that a legitimate business uh, I, 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 I hesitate to say that phrase because it sounds more uncle terry than barcelona but is slicing and dicing again that slicing and dicing sounds a bit more uncle terry than barcelona as well but <laughs> is, is 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 that a legitimate business process no, no, not it's really. Not, oh, it's, it's, okay. it's 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 a means of trying to circumvent the existing controls within a business. So so let's say that you know you're you're paying somebody five hundred pounds a week to clean your windows, and at a bit at a at an office, and you've got to sign off on everything over thirty pounds. Well, you you pay them twenty times at twenty five, and one of them says cleaning windows, and another one says doing the groceries, and another one says yeah, doing the vacuum. Yeah, yeah the, the usual shite. Um, but there, there are ways around uh, financial controls, and and this is this is one particular method. Yeah, we currently can't afford five hundred pound a week for cleaning windows, but luckily it's pouring with rain, so nature's doing it for us. <laughs> Uh, although although we haven't got good healthy clean rain like you've got in Sussex we've got south london rain so the windows end up dirtier after it's rained than beforehand um interesting story at rochdale uh, a pair of new york based investment managers have joined the board at rochdale following the departure of the chairman a couple of weeks ago and, and i'm i'm of that generation you you see the words new york and investment manager and you think these people <laughs> these people must have must have either a lot of money or some some coats of a certain overcoat type nature. I don't know why I said that, but you know what I mean. Uh, well, well, these are fine, upstanding individuals. Um, <laughs> Dan Altman and uh, Emre Marcelli. Um, and uh, last summer, they, they bought some shares in, in Rochdale. And uh, Dan Altman is involved with an organisation called Smarter Scout, i.e. it's a talent ID organisation. So it, it's trying to to find places, and and the aim at the time, or their their plans at the time, was effectively to use Rochdale as a vehicle to show just how good Smarter Scout is. Yeah, you know, we can find these nuggets 
Um, we can therefore potentially bring them into Rochdale. They're, they're intending to get a director of football so that they have some form of strategy involved. And then, of course, sell the players on at higher prices and everybody wins. Mm. Um, so th- there have been a few changes uh, in the boardroom. So uh, both of these gentlemen were asked to become directors. And if you go to the club website, it says on the 24th of February, um, yes, we're delighted that uh, that Dan and Emre are joining the board of directors. All was fine. And then Dan Altman posts on his LinkedIn account uh, very, very recently, uh, I've had second thoughts and I'm not going to do it. It's it's an inappropriate time to be joining the board of Rochdale, and, and we might get round to it at some point in the future. And, th- and this is where I feel slightly more uncomfortable because surely there's never been a better time to to get involved in a football club if you think you can help it. Yeah. Yeah, it's never been a worse time if you want to make money out of it. But if you genuinely want to help, then this would seem like a good time. So I always worry as well when statements are made via LinkedIn rather than club uh, sources as well is because it kind of most football fans wouldn't necessarily be looking for statements on LinkedIn would they no no I mean it, it now it now has literally a, a couple of hours before we recorded this show it's now come through onto the Rochdale website but, right. but there's been a gap there of two or three days and it was only because uh you know we've got some some friends on from Rochdale who, who've contacted us on social media right. that we realized yeah. that uh, the the decision had been reversed mm. uh, rumors of a takeover at Ipswich Kieran although the man running the club currently says there is no offer on the table or therefore rumor of a takeover yes so, someone's going to come out of this with egg on face um Ipswich are currently owned by a guy called Marcus Evans. He runs hospitality and events management. So clearly his main form of income, his main line of business has been suffering terribly as a result of COVID. Um, to give you an indication as to what it's like to run a club, and Ipswich, yeah, they they, they fly with underneath the radar. Um, they have lost £330,000 a week, every week, for the last decade. So th- think about that. You've got to write out a cheque for £1 million every three weeks to keep the club going. Crikey. Mm. Yeah, that is it is just, just ludicrous. Now, okay, they, they've had some player sales as well to help with it. So um, a, a story was uh, story appeared in The Athletic uh, from, from our good friend, uh, Matt Slater, who you know is a guy that really researches yep. his his yep. stories uh, in incredible depth, um, and, we, and I think we're trying to get him on the show uh, to have a chat on th- about things in general uh, soon. Uh, and uh, the story was there's a guy called Brett Johnson who runs a private equity company, a sports investment company as well, and he was going to take over the club. He was going to buy it for for less than twenty million quid. Uh, but more importantly than that, Marcus Evans was going to write off the close on 100 million that he's owed by the club. He's just going to walk away and say, well, I'm not going to get that money back. But more importantly, I'm not having to write out a check for a million pounds every few weeks. Mm. So, you know, he, he, was, he said, you know, just, just it's, it was a bit like the bank of mum and dad when you, when you lend your kids money to, to get their first mortgage or whatever it's going to be or their first car. Uh, you know, the money is lent, but you're never going to see it again. Um, so, so that was the story in The Athletic. And then we go to the East Anglian Daily Times, mm. which is, of course, the local paper. And the the general manager 
of Ipswich, when asked about this taker, goes, well, it's news to me. There's no offer on the table. I'm 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 very certain that Marcus Evans uh, isn't planning to sell the club. Otherwise, I'm, I would have been told. Mm. Um, so that that seemed very strange, and he he's he's really pushed back on this rather than saying you know, no comment. We you know, not in a position. Um, and then when you start to look at some of the issues with Ipswich. Uh, you know, it, it's a club that was in the playoffs. I think it was in something like 2016 to go up to the Premier League. You know, you and I are an old enough to remember when Ipswich uh, were doing absolutely superbly. They finished runners up in in the top division. Yeah, they were they, their progress in Europe. Yeah, they, mm. they were, and they were a cracking football team, mm. um, and one of the first teams to sort of embrace the use of overseas players. Um, but recently, if you look at some of the comments from former team managers, the likes of Roy Keane, Paul Lambert, Paul Hurst, and so on, they've said there's no communication at the club. You mm. you can't speak to the chief executive. You can't speak to the club owner. And this these comments from Lee O'Neill appear to to echo that. Uh, you know, the Paul Lambert, who was the manager until last Friday, he he ended up saying, "Oh, I'm going to get sacked this weekend," um, and then he got sacked that weekend. Yeah, and it, it it's it just doesn't feel uh, too good. Mm. So uh, that that's where we are at present, and you know, hopefully the the fog will lift in the next few days. Um, I, I I'm not giving too much away here. Um, I, I was asked to do a little bit of an investigation, to do a bit of valuation work on the club. Uh, you know, six or nine months ago, um, and it wasn't for these people. Um, so, you know, I, I was certainly aware that there was interest in Ipswich, but uh, you know, in, in in the world of football deals, you, you kiss a lot of frogs. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm asked to sort of do do numbers on quite a regular basis, and and 99 of the time it will it will turn into nothing. So, I, I knew it, if you sort of if you have red amber green in terms of where you think clubs are for sale i had i had ipswich in in my amber collection being colorblind it doesn't really mean a lot to me of course (laughs) the gray um, one so so that that's where we are yeah uh speaking of lack of communication the more astute amongst you may have noticed that when kieran said we're we're trying to get matt slater on the show i said good what i meant was are we uh, (laughs) i've literally told nothing i'm a glorified reader out is what i am Basically, I get my instructions on a on a Monday and a Thursday in the read. It's you talk about those fans who are old enough to remember Kieran that, that Ipswich side with with Muren and Tyson and the, the, the UEFA Cup winning team. It was a fun team, but also we're old enough to remember Ipswich were always associated with with stability of ownership. They were owned by the same family for decades, and they were legendary for allowing a manager to get on with it. And they were always very reluctant to sack managers. So it's. It's rather sad to see what I would consider an old school club suddenly behaving like the rest of the clubs, basically, and, and starting. You know, the turnover of managers is starting to get much quicker. And as you say, the, this business about not communication is—it's—it's it's a shame because they're always a, a kind of benevolent, friendly club that everybody, apart from Norwich fans, were quite pleased to see do well. Yeah, yeah, you, you, it, it was. It's it's difficult to hate Ipswich. Mm. Like, I'm part of, of course, of you're a Norwich fan who who felt that Ipswich got. Un, an unprecedented amount of, of admiration from from people 
who like the way that they played football, which is you know quite a re- reason for to be sympathetic towards the club. But certainly under the Cobbold family, who who used to own Ipswich, yes, they, they they gave they gave the manager plenty of time to to bring in his own uh, views and his own systems, uh, and and there was never an urgency to to get up and to 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 win the next match uh, that we see elsewhere. Also had the best away pub in the country, bar none, the, the Drum and Monkey, which was the best reason for playing Ipswich and it's been knocked down and made into a car park now, which breaks my heart. So you wouldn't you simply wouldn't knock a cathedral down. Why you would knock the drummer monkey down just breaks anyway, Kieran, before we, we get into our brilliant interview with Ben from the Tranmere Trust, remember the guy very kindly put a story in about Roy Hodgson just days after Palace had beaten Brighton um, at your place, uh, to cheer me up even further and to Rub it into you even further. I think he's put this story in as a little as a little present for you. I think I can only assume guys thought, "What can I do to cheer Kieran up?" It's been his birthday, so what he's done is put this story in. And basically, it's a story that Premier League referees who make errors will receive lower end of season bonuses, which presumably means that Lee Mason owes you money. <laughs> yeah, this this is a, an intriguing story. Uh, first of all, the, it turns out that the uh, a referee uh, at Premier League level is on a basic salary of 110 to 120 grand a year, which is good money. Which, which is which is good money. It's it's a challenging job, yeah. um, and I think uh, I think it's 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 fair money. You know, it, it, they shouldn't be doing it for peanuts. We, we've always said that they should be professional. So yeah, this this is certainly a a very uh, handsome salary. Um, and on top of that, there's what they refer to as a merit table. And at every match, uh, there is somebody with a clipboard who is going around and saying, well, they got that they got that free kick right, they got that throw in wrong, um, and then they give them an overall mark. And that goes back to PGMOL, which is the, the, comp- the company which represents uh, referees. And then that is fed into a spreadsheet and – a bit like the football table, where where clubs in the Premier League are given one point nine million pounds uh, per place on merit, uh, it will churn out an end of season table, um, and the the people at the top will be earning fifty thousand pounds, and that that drops as you go down each position in that table as well. Hmm. So uh, you know you you could be the likes of you know. You know like so, some of these referees, 160, 170 grand a year, um, and again, I, I don't begrudge them a penny because it's uh, uh, it, it is a tough job. I, I agree with you, Kieran. But to, to be perfectly honest, I I didn't realise that referees got a bonus, and I think everybody listening to this now will be going, "You mean fill in name of referee here is getting extra money for us? It's Craig Pawson. It used to be Mark Clattenburg. But what what worries me slightly is that. There's, there's even around the Lee Mason issue. There's always been this slight criticism that referees are basically not refereeing the game itself. They're refereeing for the assessor, uh, which is understandable. They're, they're, they're making decisions to make sure that their assessment is. So if, if we now know that they're getting money for that, I, I'm slightly. I'd, I'd rather they got a bigger basic salary. Given, I mean, you need to encourage referees into the game, and of course, uh, yeah, the abuse for a ref isn't as much in the Premier League as it would be lower down or in Hackney Marshes by tradition. But I'd, I'd much rather they got a basic salary than extra money for getting decisions. Decisions, right. As also, I, I did a piece with a referee once for match of the day too, and 
he was very open and very honest. But at the end, he said, I'm going to have to leave you for five minutes while I, we, me and the assistant ref get our story straight. So there's an element of that that concerns me a little bit. But obviously, you being a, a big old capitalist, you're less worried. Um, no, no, I, I'm... I'm sorry for calling you a big old captain. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, okay. that was cruel of me, sorry. <laughs> I, I work in Liverpool. I'm, I'm a trade union member. <laughs> and I'm just being called a capitalist. <laughs> sorry, kid. I'm sorry. Well, it would make Guy laugh as well. I'm, go, I'm going to call Guy a benevolent socialist. <laughs> he is. Um, he's a lovely chap. <laughs> I, I, I could... I can see that in some ways it's a reward for getting getting decisions right on a regular basis. Hmm. So, uh, but it it does seem strange because you might have three or four matches where there's no controversy, and therefore you end up getting fantastic assessments, um, and, and you get another referee who gets two or three matches where there are some really t- tough decisions to make because. Not every decision is a nailed-on penalty, or a, you, you can definitely say that's a free kick to one club or the other. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it is, you know, sixty forty. A lot of the times, so we, we've only got to go back to uh, the decisions that were made at, at the weekend in terms of uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer claiming that the Illuminati were out to get Manchester United um, in terms of not giving them penalties anymore. Uh, so you know, it it, it 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 is a tough job. Uh, and there are easier matches than others. Wouldn't it be great if Dan Brown's next novel was about Man United not getting penalties? They'll probably get, <laughs> they'll probably get, they'll get loads of penalties tonight. You know, my, my one fear about this story is that the reason Guy's actually put it in is so he's going to suggest to us that perhaps there'll be some kind of performance-related bonus after the end of each pod, because I think there's no point lying that we do get a little bit of money now for the pod, a little bit of money, I have to stress. But the idea that he's going through it with a clipboard going, well, you stuttered a little bit, didn't you, when you introduced that? Uh, Kieran mentioned being colourblind again. You mentioned Palace again. Oh, I don't know what we, we're going to have to knock a fiver off. Um, uh, the regular listeners, Kieran, of which there are many, and we thank all of you, will know that Tranmere are a club that you think very highly of. Uh, and I don't think that will change when you hear this chat we've just had with Ben Harrison, who's chair of the Tranmere Rovers Trust, and also, I have to say, runs a rather funky beer company. Ben, thank you very much for joining us. Before I ask you some important questions about beer, tell us a little bit about the Trust and about how you got involved in the first place. Um, my, my involvement stretches back about 15 years. Um, I think um, someone tried to buy Tranmere Rovers, who... Uh, perhaps re- 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 names um, we keep out, but wanted to ground share with Chester. Oh my god! Um, and you know, he ended up becoming the owner of Chester, and the trust went from ten members to eight hundred overnight. Um, and then we got into a bit of a dialogue with our owner, then Peter Johnson, mm. who who took Tramia to some great heights. We were in the uh, playoffs for the Premier League to get the Premier League three years on the run. Um, great times in the nineties. And um, developed a bit of a relationship with Peter, perhaps not the same as the owners we've got now, but the trust started to become active. I think the Labour government at the time tried to encourage trusts to mm. have a greater say in the running of football clubs. Um, and we, 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 we went for that, tried to support the club as much as possible. And then Peter Johnson lost his interest, went to Everton, came back to Tramia, didn't really want to be there. And then 
we went on a little bit of this downward spiral where which resulted us going out of the uh, the football league. So we've always had the best interests of the club at heart, and obviously now we've got new owners who are completely different, really, to the last owner. Yeah, and how did you get involved yourself specifically? Um, I, th- I think just being a Trambia fan since the age of seven, so for over fifty years, I've just been an avid fan. I've always. Couldn't quite understand why local people would always go over the water and watch Liverpool and Everton. Um, everyone knows that on Merseyside. In the 80s, you could go to Tramia on a Friday, go to Anfield or Goodison for £1.50 on a Saturday. Um, but I've always, you know, I'd write letters to the local paper and said, why are we only getting 1500 Why don't people support the local football club? So it's, I've always been quite idealistic about it. We remain that way now. Um and I think we've been given a great opportunity with where the club is now to really boost Trambia up and uh, push that on. Yeah, uh, growing up as a Palace fan, that was a question I always asked, why don't people support their local club? And there was a, there was a real spurious glamour about Trambia as well when I was a kid because the idea of playing football on a Friday night, I used to think was in, quite sexy for some bizarre reason. But obviously, Ben, we've been highlighting the amazing work that clubs and fans have been doing through the pandemic, but remind people of some of the good stuff that the trust were doing before this terrible last year. Because you've you've got quite an impressive CV of things that you've been up to, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, we, when Mark and Eckler came in, the, the, the fan base was quite low. They inherited uh, a club that was—I hate to use this comparison—but going to Tramia was like visiting someone in prison. Um, yeah the the ground looked downtrodden you do it out of duty you'd kind of come away and think I've done my duty for the week it was never massively enjoyable scrapping around it was the social aspects but of course Mark Mark and Nicola brought us in and said right you know let's get cracking on season tickets they allowed people to pay not all in one go like a lot of clubs just go give us your money I can't pay the wages beyond the end of the season they went interest free for a year and we got the season ticket sales up from about 50%, from two, two and a half thousand to 4,000. Um, we've improved the ground. We've um, just said to Kieran before, we've put some interesting murals around the Wirral, Birkenhead, um, mm. using a very well-known award-winning artist, Paul Curtis. And um, one of their murals is interestingly got in the, um, the Guardian's top 10 of football murals in the world. And it's brought a bit of a spirit, a bit of colour to the area. Um, and we've we've also a couple of other initiatives. We've worked on something called we call the SWA two, the Super White Army two, mm. where we fund uh, eight hundred and fifty tickets per game for people who couldn't afford to go to the match, want to go with a family, want to go with the local youth centre uh, charity. And at Tramby, you can you can go and watch live football. I think if you want to go to particularly Anfield, maybe not so much Goodison. You've got to book your tickets months in advance. It'll cost you a hundred pound, and I think you know getting people. A, it's a proper community club where you know you want people to feel part of it, and it's a, a good habit to get into. Yeah, and you've got that fan park up and running as well, which looks really impressive. Yeah, we have, and I, I, I presume you're going to come on to be it. We we um, we we started that four or five years ago. We we did it for our local derby game against Chester, and obviously. Yeah, you two have kind of got the banter between Brighton and Palace. Mm. And we put a marquee up for the afternoon. We offered 100 Chester fans free food. Uh, come and have a drink. Everyone said, there might be a right. You know, we haven't played them for 10 years. And it was just fantastic. Everyone enjoyed each other's company. There was 8,000 people at the game. Uh, Nicola came to me afterwards and said, 
would you put one up permanently? Four years on, it's a great beer tent, as it's called. Uh, it's called the tent. Uh, you get four or 500 people in per game, away fans, home fans. And it's allowed, Mark and Nicholas allowed us to build uh, some trust funds up, which hopefully can be converted into some equity in the club. Hmm. And it makes the uh, the whole match experience completely different. I'm I'm always very jealous of a club with a statue, and you 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 got one organised, didn't you, as well of, yeah. of Johnny King? Yeah. Most non-Tranmere fans would assume you'd have a statue of of Dixie Dean who started there, but uh, obviously Johnny King is somebody who means a lot to the club. He does, he does. And what we decided to do is to um, get the funds together, um, put it up while the, while Johnny was alive, and he actually came and unveiled his own statue. Oh, brilliant! Um, a lot of clubs tend to do these things after someone's passed away. As a tribute, um, we used a guy called Tom Murphy, uh, who's done the um, Dixie D and the Shankly statue. And ours was a bit unusual. Um, I think the Shankly statue was paid for by Carlsberg, Everton's Dixie D paid for by the club. But we got 893 subscriptions of fans oh, whose, nice. whose names are on the plinth, and they all contributed to it. Um, so it's got real ownership by, by the fans of the club. And to, to, to do that for one guy just shows what. Uh, high regard he was held by yeah. by the fans of the club I'm quite jealous of your murals as well because yeah, I, I saw the t-shirts on your the trust uh, shop site and they're they're brilliant murals because we had one at Sellers Park you couldn't tell the difference between Jeff Thomas and Ian Wright <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, was, it was it was that bad but there's, there's one thing in particular that I, I noticed uh, doing and I do, I do despite what people think I do some research for this and it's something that I pointed out to Ali, my wife, and she thought it was brilliant because I think you were the first club in the country to provide free sanitary products for women at, at games as well, weren't you? Which I think yeah. is a brilliant initiative. Yeah, it was. It was the girls from um, who, who'd worked with Celtic, and I just I just picked up and I saw it, and then we were the first English Welsh club to do it. And once again, you saw <laughs> you saw me going round the ground two hours before match day into every women's toilet, stocking them up, shouting. Is there anyone in there? <laughs> but we we did it in a subtle way, and obviously now the governments have uh, stopped the tax on it, and it's now become you know right rightly so right across football. Um, just something else that's quite easy to do and should should be done really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so so we, we've learned a little bit about what what the trust has done before the pandemic. Tell us a little bit more about your work during the pandemic. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think from last March onwards, um, I think I think we went straight into COVID, and then you know, Ber- Birkenhead. I'm a born and bred Birkenhead lad, proud of the town, but a lot of people have got a bit of a downer on it. It's not a wash with money. We used to have a great big shipyard. That's probably why we've got a good affinity with Sunderland. We were playing at Wembley the week of after course. the next, of course, yeah, yeah. And we we started with the club. We started delivering food parcels, and then within weeks we were getting. 250 requests off the local authority. Wow. Uh, can you help? Obviously, for them, no finance was available. So we we went out to the fan base, went out to the club sponsors, raised 50,000. We had a team of 20 people doing it week in, week out. Um, and we, I think I think we ended up delivering 4,000 parcels, wow. uh, which would keep people going for a good four or five days. And... Mm. Um, and then I think the club obviously worked on some mental health projects, some isolation. Um, in a way, the country tried to come out of COVID, which didn't quite happen. Um, you know, easy lockdown, and we, we've we've been back into um, 
doing exactly the same again in the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. And now more than ever, I mean, I, you get personal emails of people saying, particularly last month, I think two weeks ago, that uh, I'm a working mum, my kids are at home, I'm schooling them, I've got no food left in the cupboard, it's minus two degrees, do I put the heater on? Is there any way you can help them? Yeah. And, and the, the, the other side as well is a lot of requests are coming off men, they're coming off uh, Tramia fans who know fellas are struggling but would never, ever ask for food handouts because yeah. it's the ultimate kind of, not not low, but you don't want to admit that you're poor and you can't feed yourself. Um, women, I think women, like, I hope it doesn't sound sexist, but they, they'll think of the kids and go, I'm not proud. My kids yeah. are kind of hungry, but a lot of, uh, particularly young males will struggle on, struggle on. Um, so we've been able to make a good difference there. It, I, mean, I mean, this is off-piste, basically, but I, I've done a lot of stuff with Comic Relief over the years, including visits to to Kenya and some places of brutal poverty. And Comic Relief, and other, it's it's the women that will get, get us out of this because it's like it's the women that roll their sleeves up and have the practical solutions. And when they do do get the money and get the help, they, they put it to proper use. And... I mean, it's, it's it's 2021, Ben, and we're talking. Oh, it's, wow. it's shameful that we we have to talk about this week week after week on this pod. As we do, it. were you coordinating coordinating that effort with with other local clubs, as as clubs have done in South London, sort of made it a and, joint effort? And a little bit. We you know we we've, we were in touch with Liverpool and Everton, but I suppose that the, the Mersey is quite a defining river. Um, it's it's you know a good mile or two long. So the Whittles the Whittles a strange community because it's got a lot of wealth on the west side, but also mm. on the, the east side, on the banks of the River Mersey, there's a lot of, um, you know, poverty. Um, so we've kind of done it ourselves. We, we speak to our neighbours about how we can cross-coordinate. Um, but Tramie's got that quirkiness about it. People do like to um, help their own. And asking asking fans to refer other fans is is very good. I mean, we've just had 30 requests coming straight today off Tramia fans who know people who are struggling. And there's no shame you know, we, we keep the paperwork to a minimum, something's delivered to the door, no questions asked, yeah. and people feel it helps them, might help them through to payday, through to the better times, you know. So. But then, of course, the important thing is that when all this is over, clubs and, and their fans have to remember that there are still people struggling, and it's like we can't just suddenly stop making the effort for people because COVID's over as well, which, again, it, it's brilliant what football clubs and football fans are doing, but it shouldn't have to be us that are doing it. Um on a on a, a brighter note, Ben. I mean, Kieran's always been a big fan of the way Tranmere is run as a club, and I'll bring Kieran in, on uh, in about this in a moment. But what's your relationship like with the owners at the moment with the Palioses? Yeah, I mean, I can't I can't fault them. It's it sounds very creepy, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they've been a breath of fresh air from from day one. And Mark said at the FA used to hear about clubs and trusts, fans groups would always lock horns. And one would be at the gates having a protest. The other one would be in the boardroom. And, um, you know, I, th- I think we're very independent, which I think Mark likes. So we're kind of, we can be a critical friend. Um, and he, he's just brought us on board. And I think it just shows together what you can actually achieve. Um, he let us have some associate director positions. We've had access to the finances. There's never been a time when anything's been hidden. Uh, he's a he's a very open fellow, so is Nicola. And um, you know, we do we have, we do work together. Obviously, you look they're not gonna be around forever. Uh, we would like to build 
some fan equity in the club and, and look down the road to um, what may happen next. But yeah, they've been in. They've been a breath of fresh air. Kieran, as, a, as an outsider, I, I love that phrase, critical friend. That's that's a very important one, I think. But remind our listeners, Kieran, some of whom maybe knew, what it is that you admire so much about the way that Tranmere's run as a club. Uh, well, from my point of view, uh, you know, I, I, w- I went to interview Mark for, for my book and, and I couldn't believe how open he was. Uh, but also his ideas are, you know, ev- everything I heard, I just, well, that, I've already got that. It, it's it, that's you're ticking so many boxes. Mm. Um, he he believes in the fan uh, in the club as being a community hub, and using the power of a football club to open those doors within the the areas of social deprivation that surround the club. That that the the, the local authority facilities can't. So if you've got some kids who are on the cusp of being excluded from school, they're potentially getting in, involved with the wrong sorts and so on. If a social worker goes in or if the school goes in, they're from the establishment. Yeah. And you know, immediately the barriers go up. Uh, when, when somebody from Tranmere goes in, and, and, and you know, Mark's spoken to me about uh, many of the projects which, which they run at Tranmere, the first thing is, is you know, okay, the, what, what team do you support? And you know, you're a blue or a red or a Tramia fan. And you've got that you've got that first conversation has already taken place. And people warm to you because it's football. And, and the idea of using the football car club as a vehicle to deliver health service, education, uh, exercise, all of these things which which we know really uh, drop drop down in in areas of social deprivation where there are genuine problems is uh, is, is a masterstroke and, and it should be uh, it should be used all throughout the country and, and you know I'm hoping that if we get this fan led government review fan led review of football that these are the types of things that regardless of the party in charge that this will become the norm um, and, and we'll start to use football clubs as because they are the modern day churches. Mm. Yeah, Ben, I can only apologise that Kieran began that passion statement with a plug for his book. <laughs> just, uh, it's just shameful, Kieran. I just, you, thank God both of us don't apply those standards. You, you you clearly have a very good relationship with, with the club. And as you say, there's a, there's a trust representative on the board. But do you have any, any lingering regrets that the attempted fans takeover back in 2011 didn't quite come off? Uh, no, no, not really. We we learnt a lot from it. I think the the owner Peter Johnson didn't really believe in it. Um, he took a long time to sell the club. Mark and Nicola do believe in fan equity, and we're talking to him about it. And I think the time comes. Uh, sometimes you just got to be patient. Um, we we raised a couple hundred thousand from outside the club gates. I think if we were going to do something in future, we'd plan it strategically with Mark and Nicola. And, you know, we'd like to build up a 20, 25% equity in the club. Mm. Um, maybe too soon uh, after Mark and Nicola for the, for the fans perhaps to run the club. But who who knows after that? Who knows where football's going to be as well? So it's, mm. I think sometimes you've just got to bite your time. And it's not about us as individuals. It's about the future 50, 100 years of the football club. And exciting times on the pitch as well. You're fourth in the league. You're in that cup final against Sunderland that you mentioned. Have you got a virtual trip to Wembley planned? Uh, yeah, we have. We have. And we, we, we kind of, um, you know, be- between the two clubs at the moment, we've already hit a, a big target of virtual ticket sales. Um, I mean, obviously, it's no it's no secret that the EFL relegated us, uh, demote, demoted us on points per game last season. I think yeah. Bar 
Mark's been very vocal about that. I suppose how ironic if fans had been able to go to the final, <laughs> uh, Wembley would have taken their cuss, the, the EFL would have taken their cuss. We'd have ended, we'd have ended up with somebody. Um, but what's materialising now is uh, Tramia's community project, Sunderland's Foundation, are going to end up with quite a lot of money from people's generous donations through virtual tickets. Mm. So we're going to bypass all the authorities, get it straight down onto the ground where people uh, in need will benefit from it straight away. Yeah, I, I imagine there's probably some EFL officials who are quite glad they don't have to be shaking, <laughs> yeah. shaking players' hands in front of 40,000 <laughs> angry Birkenheaders. Which is, yeah, um, yeah. Um, it's, it's such a, it's, it's, I, that's who I feel, it's such a shame that oh, you can't no. be at Wembley. It's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's, I've got mates who are Arsenal fans who moan about it. Seriously, I was in the Comedy Store dressing room two seasons ago when two comedians who are high-profile comedian Arsenal fans moaning about having to go to Wembley for another semi-final. Yeah. And, like, oh, <laughs> yeah. and then fans like you and, and us and Kieran, just to not have those oh. one of those rare trips, to not be oh, – it's just it's – the, it's the journey down as well that you miss oh, the most, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's the excitement it's, to get the train. Yeah. Oh, all that, just being with your mates and all those memories of the, the yeah. bad times that are put out the window. Um, to end on an even more positive note, uh, Ben, I have to ask, how how's the beer business going? I imagine this is not a bad time to be selling beer online, is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we're, we're doing okay online, obviously – we're waiting to come out of COVID, which looks like it's going to be May time. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, they're predicting a hospitality boom. Um, I remember last July when people were let out, it was chaos. I don't know what it's going to be like in April chaos. and May. <laughs> chaos. chaos. And the, the optimistic Tramia fan is, I think, you know, we might have been crowned champions of League Two. We might have won the EFL trophy. We'll have a lot to celebrate right across the board. Um, could I could I just mention what, what one more initiative we're doing Wembley weekend is? Of course you can, yeah. Yeah, our our local uh, mosque, the Willow Dean Centre, are kindly providing them um, two hundred and fifty takeaway meals for for people who've been receiving the food parcels. And what they're saying is, you'd, you'd never treat yourself to a takeaway because you basically got to buy milk and the essentials. And we're, we're going out on the Friday before the Wembley weekend, taking them out to people in the community building some good community links with kind of the Asian community. And it's just another twist. Uh, the club are working with them and kind of break down some barriers and kind of um, just show that we're all in we're all in this together and no one's going to be forgotten. Well, that, that's a brilliant note to end this interview on, Ben, because, again, it, I mean, that's it's a wonderful, touching story, but also it's an investment in the future of Tranmere Football Club because you want people from all parts of the community to come and watch Tranmere. And, and you've got, understandably, some people from different communities who have no experience of going to football and probably a bit scared of the whole yeah. the whole environment. And now you build these bridges and they want to go to football matches. And that's how you can have as many initiatives as you want about getting people from different backgrounds and communities into football. Well, that's how you do it. It's, how, it's fans doing it that, that eventually does it. So that's a, a brilliant positive note to end. I, I can't wish you good luck in the final. Then, uh, <laughs> in case we've got somebody from Sunderland coming on, and yeah. I wish them, I wish them good luck. And you yeah. realise what a hypocrite I am. Yeah, uh, I but mean, obviously, good luck in the final. Yeah, and of all of all the clubs we've got a, a friendship with, back in 1988, we went to something called the Centenary Final at Wembley. Sixteen teams were there, and we played Newcastle, and the Sunderland fans were sighted right next to us, and they all jumped in our section, and. We've always had a bit of a bond with that football club ever since. 
I um, think I was. Was that was that? There was about eight games going on in yeah, the day. Yeah. I, went, I, I think I think I was there. I think Palace were in that. Yeah. For I think half they might an hour. <laughs> We've got a feeling we were the first team knocked out. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Kieran, to end this by talking about our club's been at Wembley, but yeah. you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's fine. You'll get there one day. Ben, it's been a it's been a pleasure to talk Thanks. to you. And, Thanks, Kevin. And Thanks, Kevin. One, once again, we we just want to represent what football fans are doing around the world on this pod, uh, and you're yet another person who's made us proud to be football fans. So. Good luck in all your endeavours. Kind of if, if there's anything we can do to publicise anything for you, make sure you let us know. Um, we'll see you again. Take care now, mate. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers, Ben. Uh, Kieran, again, sometimes people accuse us of being a little bit too soft on people we have on the show, but we're not panorama. We we invite people on so we can celebrate what they're doing for football and the community. And, and I, I, there's no better example than than Ben for what clubs are doing. And I was fascinated by what he said about older male fans being too proud to admit they have a problem. So the, the, the idea that other fans can secretly refer them, I think is a, is a, a very good idea. Yeah. As, as you know, Kevin, you know, given my family background, I'm not keen on snitching, but for this particular issue, I'm prepared to make an exception. Yeah, if, if you are aware that somebody is struggling, um, and you you reach out. They they will thank you. They won't tell you that they're thanking you, but they'll be going thank Christ for that. Yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, yeah. Uh, when it comes to putting food on the table, uh, and also if, if we go back to our discussions with Richard Kenyon the, the previous week, having the ability to to pay to heat the food. Yeah, these these are these are terrible stories. But once again, football is is coming to the fore. Um, and you know, hats off to, to Ben and everybody that's uh, performing roles such as his because you, you don't do it for the glory, you don't do it for the thanks, you do it because you happen to be really good people. Yeah, and also good to hear that there seems to be a proper symbiosis between the club owners and the, the trust as well. It's not just one being allowed to exist by the big club owner. It's, it seems like a proper relationship between them, doesn't it? And also... Just remind me, I didn't want to interrupt the, the flow of the interview by asking you while we were talking to Ben, but fan equity, what exactly does that mean in practice? Well, that means that a, a fan group will buy a quarter of the club, which means that the that fan group will normally have the right to appoint a, a fan director, which which allows them to be involved in decision making so you know where where are we going in terms of the ground expansion how much of the budget is going on players and transfers uh you know are are, are they staying in five star hotels when they go away or can we cut money here there um and and it's just a case of it it opens up lines of communication and it it's when there is no communication that conspiracy theories start yeah, or um you you end up with uh, relationships deteriorating. You know, we we spoke about Ipswich earlier in the podcast, and I, and I think that's that's a club where you've got an owner who has put in yeah, the thick end of a hundred million pounds into the club, and everybody hates him, and yeah. it's because he doesn't talk to anybody. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have any questions for our next questions pod on any aspect of football finance, that's Monday for our questions pod. It's questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, as ever, I will hand you over to birthday boy plus three days to say goodbye. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, folks, for the, the kind words about the show. If you're enjoying it, you know, make sure you subscribe. If you can give us a, a review, a nice five-star review, doesn't matter what you say. You can say you'd rather it was presented by Susie Quattro for all we care. Um, 
it, it doesn't it does make a difference in terms of the business side of things which you know kevin and i we must confess we don't really understand because it involves buttons and internets and things uh, other than that stay safe look after yourselves and we speak to you soon that's the first time on this pod you've mentioned Susie quattro kieran but it's the second time today isn't it what's it what, is indeed what's what Susie quattro in your head all of a sudden <laughs> <laughs> bye everybody Bye. The price of football.